0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.
1: This is a recording from our 2021 Passover Prep Learning Series.
0: First of all, I just want to say a preemptive thank you to Tyson Roberts and to the entire refugee task force. It's been lovely getting to plan this and to think about how Temple Beth Am could be more involved in making this a community-wide effort and knowing uh, how to be part of making change in this way. I'm just going to give you a a brief overview uh, on how we came to this and what is to come this morning. So as part of this Passover prep series, we wanted to make sure that there was some kind of social justice aspect. And as we all know, one of the major themes of Passover is Slavery and freedom. And so we wanted to talk specifically about how slavery is not just something that we saw in Exodus, but is something that is still around, unfortunately, in our world in many ways. And we wanted to bring it close to home. We wanted to make sure that this wasn't just about global slavery, but was also about things that are happening here in Los Angeles in our own community. So We are going to today hear from Joe Goldman, who is going to be representing HIAS, uh, and from Sheila Thomas, who is going to be representing 1LA, and from Susan Jacoby-Stearn, Stern, is going to be representing CAST. And we're going to be talking about modern-day slavery into modern-day redemption. So it's wonderful to be here with all of you, and Joe, I'll let you take it away.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi, and to the whole Table.com community and, and everyone for uh, welcoming uh, me in back into the uh, TBA world and uh, the virtual world, I should say. And again, my name is uh, Joe Goldman. I'm the Community Engagement Director for the Western Region at HIAS, the world's oldest and only Jewish international humanitarian organization providing vital services to refugees and asylum seekers. We were established in the late 1800s as the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, as many of you know, to assist Jewish refugees in pogroms, the Holocaust, revolutions and expulsions from throughout the world. And now HIAS serves people of all backgrounds across five continents. While the work uh, that we do is still often with Jewish populations in harm's way, we apply our expertise globally and have resettled. uh, We resettled refugees because they were Jewish and now we resettle refugees because we are Jewish. Welcome the stranger appears in the Torah 36 times more than any other commandment. Uh, that should be as no surprise to all of you, that's why you're here today. And welcoming refugees and asylum seekers has been American bipartisan gold standard practice of foreign policy, national security, and economic vitality. For this program, Modern Day Slavery to Freedom in Temple Bethon's ongoing passive or prep learning series, it provides us with an opportunity to take stock of the global and domestic challenges, fueling modern day slavery, and also share some personal experiences. So in addition to yours truly, uh, as I mentioned, you will hear from two other speakers uh, who will provide more context to these issues on a local level, and I'm excited to introduce them very soon. Right now there are approximately 80 million forcibly displaced people around the world, more than after World War II and the Holocaust. And of them, 26 million are refugees. Another 4 million are asylum seekers, with the vast majority of those remaining uh, are, are those still within their, their borders of their home countries. So they are forcibly displaced, but they're still extremely vulnerable uh, and, and are um, under threat Uh, from their current regimes. While HIAS focuses on refugees and asylum seekers globally, there's a profound intersection of how refugee and asylum policies uh, intersect with with the epidemic of human trafficking and slavery, which impacts roughly 40 million people. Uh, For years, people have fled Central America to the United States seeking asylum from gangs, many of whom don't just threaten to murder, But to enslave and traffic their victims. And yet, when the previous administration implemented the deplorable Remain in Mexico policy, it resulted in the creation of the first ever refugee camps in the Western Hemisphere. And in turn, these camps became some of the most dangerous places on earth ripe for exploitation of innocent people fleeing for their lives under the new administration, uh, we are seeing actions uh, that will now slowly start to allow some refugees to enter the United States. Um, and HIAS is working with many of the most vulnerable to cross the border. You know, So far, uh, we've helped almost uh, 500, uh, about half of the 500 people who entered the United States about two Fridays ago at the border. And, and one of them uh, was a Guatemalan woman who made her way to Juarez across from El Paso with her seven-year-old daughter, Uh, back in 2019, and having used up all their savings, they had to stay in a shelter where her daughter was the victim of a brutal attack from people who tried to kidnap her. And the daughter understandably suffered severe distress as a result, uh, resulting in panic attacks and nightmares. Hiest provided them with legal and mental health services. And when we first met that little girl, she said that her dream was to be an ice skater. And highest finally got to help her and her mother cross the border last Friday, as soon as they joined the family in the United States, their daughter, her, the woman's daughter went ice skating. Um, we were sent a photo uh, with the daughter on the ice saying, thank you very much. My girl is so happy now, God willing, she will feel safe and the nightmares will go away. Um, there's one, you know, just one story out of so many uh, that really brings these issues to home. And whether working in Mexico, other corners of Latin America, where HIAS happens to be the largest non-UN humanitarian aid agency, or sub-Saharan Africa, Israel, the EU, and right here at home, HIAS offers programs that help prevent refugees and asylum seekers from being trafficked and enslaved. Uh, we are offering legal services and support. We're on the front lines of ending gender-based violence and anti-LGBTQ violence. Uh, we work on providing mental health services uh, and certainly workforce development training to increase economic inclusion and the ability to be self-sustaining. Um, and you know, we are advocating fiercely in the halls of power, whether it's in Washington D.C., in Brussels, in Jerusalem, and elsewhere. And of course, we have a whole network of resettlement partner agencies here at home. And I'm going to share one action item with all of you for highest. The rest, uh, the, the rest of the action items will be uh, from our other partners. But what I've shared with you is the link to the highest welcome to Congress card. It's so important right now that even though the election is over and we know we have a much friendlier administration and Congress, we need you. To demand that our members of Congress not only just vote the right way, but also lead on behalf of refugees and asylum seekers and all of these vulnerable populations. And in this link, you'll see um, an easy drop-down button uh, or drop-down menu. You can select a uh, Temple Beth on to represent uh, the congregation. And I'll be working with uh, the leadership at and especially the refugee task force uh, for arranging meetings with members of Congress down the road with other partners here in LA. And domestically, there's a direct line from the partisan inertia that is fueled by white supremacy and structural gridlock that has led to very few improvements in our immigration system over the past 35 years. Millions of our neighbors live among us as undocumented and therefore at greater risk to becoming trafficked and enslaved. And while again, HIAS itself doesn't focus on a lot of the issues facing undocumented immigrants directly, we do see how extremely putative policies, especially on asylum. And again, these are people who are legally, asylum seekers are legally exercising the right to seek asylum in the United States. They may end up having no other choice beyond becoming and staying undocumented as deportation could lead to their death, trafficking, or enslavement. We especially saw this among LGBTQ asylum seekers uh, and, and many women with children. And of course, you know, trafficking and enslavement can happen to anyone, not just those fleeing for their lives uh, from abroad. One can only imagine the economic desperation and vulnerability experienced by billions around, across the globe and certainly now in this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it just so happens in a previous job that I had, I, I helped facilitate partnerships between uh, American and Israeli NGOs and law enforcement agencies working to stop human trafficking among uh, both indigenous and recent immigrant populations. Um, I particularly recall on the Israeli side uh, that they worked with huge numbers of women from the former Soviet Union and asylum seekers from Eritrea, Sudan, and Darfur, all of whom were trafficked into prostitution. Um, and, and these are also client populations that Haia still works with today on, on other fronts. Uh, and, of course, in the United States, many of the victims were from a spectrum of across American society, though disproportionately were Black and Latino women. But You know, and here at home we're going through a K shaped economic recovery in which the top 10 to 20% of Americans own more wealth than the rest of the country, increasing the sheer volume of opportunities for predators to take advantage of at risk people. So, despite being deemed essential too many essential workers toil away with poverty wages and might actually be trafficked before our very eyes so. To provide us with greater perspective on what's happening in LA and, and certain ways of how to take action to stop it, it is my privilege to introduce to you Sheila Thomas, a leader with One LA Industrial Areas Foundation. Sheila has been a member of her church since elementary school and served in various roles throughout the years. Sheila is presently a member of the African-American Catholic Cultural Awareness Committee and Social Justice Committee. Sheila's involvement with One LA IAF has included different campaigns, including healthcare, homelessness, housing, immigration, GOTV, justice reform, and Prop 47 clinics, human trafficking, and others that affect equity and equality for our communities at large. So she, essentially, Sheila's in charge of saving the world. Uh, Sheila Thomas received a certificate to teach human trafficking 101 from the Los Angeles Regional Task Force led by CAST. She's also a co-founding member of the National Black Faith Coalition Against Human Trafficking. Sheila is a Fifteen-year Navy veteran and has recalled and was recalled to active duty for Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and is on reserve as a hospital uh, court in the hospital corps and preventative medicine technician. Born in Orlando and a South LA resident for most of her formative years, Sheila holds a degree in physical therapy from Mount Saint Mary's University in LA. Uh, Sheila, I am passing this off to you, and uh, when you're done, you can just pass it back to me because we have another speaker right after you.
3: Okay. Um Thank you for reading all of that, Um, please. <laughs> I'm sorry to bore everyone, but we just started on our um, human trafficking in Los Angeles. And we want to talk about how we were, uh, how the church community and families have felt those um, who are involved in human trafficking. Um, I attend basically two churches, St. Bridges and Holy Name of Jesus Church. St. Bridges is along one of our tracks in Western for many, many years we watched young ladies being trafficked and did not know what it was. We looked at our children as being on one side of the fence and the other children, shamely being on the other side of the fence and saying, do not, telling our children not to go over there on that side of the fence. But in years in watching this, we realized what it was. First reaction was to go out and start pulling guys out of the car's. But then we said, no, 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 let's get educated, because then we knew that would be much more harmful to the young ladies than to the men. So in being educated um, throughout the years, we began educating others about what human trafficking looked like. Human trafficking comes in many, many forms. It has no social background, no economic background, and it has no color, no race, no class even though 60% in the, of Black girls are trafficked when we only represent about 13.2% of the population. So we do tend to, um, in South LA, we do tend to focus on our Black young ladies who have been historically not protected by the society. One example was, is one year, um, the traffic, the task force went out, and they said they made so many um, arrests. The sheriff's department made so many arrests about um, and put so many people into um, different programs. But that year I asked them, how many did you do in South L.A.? Well, our main focus was around USC. <laughs> that brought me to, to tears because you're on the news bragging about how many people you actually saved that night but near the USC area and not in the South LA area. So we continued to educate ourselves and became part of the Los Angeles Human Trafficking Task Force. In doing that, we were educated even more to where we attended the meetings. We also were trained to go out and teach one-on-one human trafficking. But in, in, in all of those stories and not based on class, we also teach people about Um, other people's stories as far as one young lady whose parents was, one parent was a doctor, one parent was a lawyer, and she ended up being human trafficked during her college years by the promise of modeling. While we also still share the story of a young ladies or girls who are eight years old and who never have a chance because their parents might've been addicted to heroin, drugs, or whatever. And also through that, the mom might be the trafficker. The mom could be the abuser, to where or the dad to where that child run away. Runaway victims, we know that within the first 48 hours that a third of them are, are trafficked. A third of them are trafficked. Those numbers there should raise our, raise our hearts to act. Even though if it's one person, and I do not believe in numbers because if one person is trafficked, to me, that is too many. So the other, and then you may have an eight-year-old, and then trafficking or trafficker does not have any type of identity. That trafficker can look like you or I. They fit very well into the family system. They fit very well into someone's shopping. <clears throat> And I mean shopping by um, these. They tend to go to familiar places where there are people of vulnerability. And when I mean by vulnerability, um, you can have a female that might um, tend to go to a grocery store or a convenience store every day or every other day, and she starts to begin to give this youth compliments. And in giving that youth compliment, you give them a sense of familiarity, a sense of comfortability. And then with youth, sometimes they tend to tie, they tell you almost everything because their trust factor is high. So in that, um, in that instance, which was shared with us, was shared with me by a nun, she said that um, the youth befriend this woman. The lady later on said, You're such a good worker. I have a job for you. And that is having a job of a promise of a better job the youth went along with this lady and was um, trafficked. So that's another story. Sometimes traffickers get into school systems. They may watch the vulnerability. They might watch the people who have disabilities, learning disabilities. Some of the schools have actually had to take away from their doors that this is um, students with IEPs because what the trafficker sometimes may do <clears throat> is go into the schools, have a child go into the school and recruit for them. So if they happen to see that the child is there for an IEP or special education or anything like that, they go in, they tell, they give the child false promises. I have a friend who buys me McDonald's. I have a friend that buys me clothing. I have a friend that buys me shoes. Something that the parents or something that they're liking at home. Sometimes they can be lacking home a hug and that person, that trafficker gets into, the, into them and say, and be emotional with them. But for others, it could be where the trafficker is already ever in the beginning, this big malicious person that you see on the TV <clears throat> or as you might see on the media, as far as the movie Traffic. It's not where you have a white girl go to the Europe all the time on vacation and uh, she's on vacation, she gets trafficked. The media loves to depict that story. While in reality, they do not depict or have enough signs where they show that it's a black young youth that is being trafficked. So that is, some of the, that is one way that we need to change the media's perspective and stop glamorizing it through TV that this is what it looks like, some big, mad, big, mean person, that this can be family, this can be person that is grooming. person that grooms, they become part of your family. Once they become part of that family, they also begin to uh, get personal information. Guess who? And they don't always get the personal information from you. They can also get the personal information from the adult in the family. Once they got the, the personal information from the adult in the family, then they begin to say, hmm, I can offer you this. Then they begin the techniques of isolation. They be, take the child away from the family, have more outings where you know it's just away from the family. So, um, <clears throat> so that's what a trafficker almost looks like. Then for us, for 1LA, um, our work is basically being onto educating and wanting to bring it to the pulpit, just like you are bringing it today to the pulpit. We believe the only way that we're going to be able to solve trafficking and girls being trafficked and what it actually looks like and stop being able to say that these girls who are out there on the corner are not being trafficked is through education and bring it through the pulpit. If we all truly believe that we are all made in the image and likeness of God, then we are compelled to act for everyone and everyone is our children. Another most vulnerable population in that is the foster care system. The foster care kids, once they're released from foster care, most of the, some of the time they are totally released from family. They, if they're released from family, then they don't have the economical... Um, the economical means. So sometimes they might turn to to a person who knows a person who can traffic them. And then through some vulnerability, if we don't look at a person as being trafficked, but they are. They are being trafficked through our society because our society does not give people an opportunity to succeed. So even though sometimes there's not a pimp there, it's the society also saying, We cannot help you. We do not want to help you. And as Joe said, we have the people that are up here and the people that are down here. So to me, that is a form of a trafficker. So and that is um, more my personal opinion than what is in books. So I just want to share that. But also through the foster care system, we can also help people um, who are foster care parents by sometimes giving them a break. You can develop foster care areas within your own communities, with all your own churches to where you have foster care drives. You can also people who are involved in foster care, any agencies, you may ask them, how can we help you? One person was very, very, very honest with me at one point when I was at a seminar. She says, you know what? Um, it is so nice that the, um, we have the nice little Jewish ladies they come out and they help support these parties but in actuality they need to see people that look like you to come out and support their parties i thought that was so honest and so brave of that person to come out and say i do not see enough people that look like you you know helping out at some of these um at some of these parties so or any type of event So I appreciated that as a life learned lesson, that it does need to take people that look like you, people who look like me to work together to solve this problem. Also, we need to, uh, we need to join, I'm sorry, I should drink water. We also need to join organizations such as, um, or support organizations such as CAST. CAST sometimes may send out emails where, they have a housing available, but they need linen. Or Journey Out might say we have housing available, but we need linen. We need people of interpretation. So just be aware of organizations such as Cast and Journey Out and to meet their needs as far as, um, as, far as being as supportive. Are there, Someone said, are there warning signs that our children should look out for in their schools? There's warning signs that, um, first of all, we need to make sure that we talk to our children. And in, talking to, and in talking to our children, I'm so sorry, in talking to our children, we need to make sure that we talk to our boys. Our boys are as vulnerable, but we hardly ever talk about our boys um, being um, part of trafficking. We need to talk about porn. In talking about porn, we need to make sure that everyone knows that, that the porn is not, um, is not entertainment. Porn is a leading Um, Factor into human trafficking. Sometimes we may tell our, and I've heard people say, "Oh, um, for my son when he turns twenty-one, I want to take him to a strip joint." We need to have that conversation with people that strip joints, all that leads to leads to prostitution. We need to make sure that people know that they're sometimes they're underage people that are involved in that. That it is wrong. That we need to stop sexualizing. People by color, by race, by nationality, and we need to pay more attention to our boys and have those most vulnerable conversations. The same as we do for our girls. We talk to our girls a lot more about this, but we don't talk to them enough. The recognizing signs that we may see is we see changing in behavior, changing in the way a person dresses. We might see that there's malnutrition, um, that they're bringing home gifts, that they have they have two cell phones at home. One cell phone can be a burner, one cell phone can be the phone that you gave them. Okay, there.
2: I'm so sorry to interrupt you, mm-hmm. Sheila. I just wanted to share two quick things. One, um, if there are any other questions, we will get to them mm-hmm. uh, towards the end. And I want to know if you had any other final points just before we get to our next speaker. Um, you've covered so many. Uh, my, my mind is just swirling with questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are others here, but I don't know if you had any yes. other final. Final my, comments for for my, this portion.
3: My final comment is: we're not saved until we're all are saved. Thank you.
2: That is right there. Yes, <laughs> that is so true, and 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 also uh, apropos timing with the baby. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm, sure I'm so really, sorry. <laughs> no, are you kidding? I'm like so jealous. I haven't held a baby in over a year, so um, I'm I'm really jealous. Um, Anywho, so I am uh, moving on just to our next speaker. We will have a joint Q&A towards the end. Um, It is now my privilege to introduce Susan Jacoby Stern, who will speak with us today about her personal experience with human trafficking and slavery. She's a Temple Beth Am member who practiced law at the Center for Law in the Public Interest, uh, where she helped in drafting the passage of the False Claim Claim Act, the Anti-Fraud Whistleblower Law, which has resulted in the federal government recovering more than $40 billion to date. Along with her daughters, Rena and Anna, Susan received the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking Founders Leadership Award for their work in raising awareness of modern-day slavery. So Susan, off to you. Oh,
4: Thank you so much, Joe, and thank you, Sheila, and thank you to Tyson and the whole Refugee Task Force for inviting me to speak today and for all your hard work in organizing this important program. Um, I'd like to share with you my personal experience of how I became involved in this issue and why CAST, the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking, is such a life-saving organization in our city, and then concrete steps that you can take to make an impact on this issue. So my story begins in my neighborhood in West LA, the same street that Rabbi Schatz grew up on. Um, One of my neighbors came up to me, our kids uh, play together and introduced me to her new uh, housekeeper and babysitter, a very young Indonesian girl. Um, I tried to talk to her and my neighbor quickly said, she doesn't speak any English, so do not bother. Um, I would see her and I would try to make conversation. And through time, I saw that she would often be looking sad. I said to my neighbor, what's going on with Ima? Her name is Ima, I-M-A, Ima Matul. What, what's going on with Ima? She said, oh, she's just homesick. She, you know, she's, she's just sad. One time I saw her with a bandage on her forehead. I said, what happened to Ima? She said, oh, she slipped and fell. We took her to UCLA. She got stitches, but she's fine. No worries. Um, this went on. Until one day, our babysitter came home with a crumpled note in her hand that said, Help me, from Ima. My heart just sunk. I found out through the babysitter that through her halting English, Ima had told our babysitter that our neighbor had never paid her for her day's work in three years, that she had confiscated her passport, that she had suffered you know, physical abuse when she didn't do something that our neighbor felt like she should do. And that finally, Ema had gotten up the courage and had learned English through playing with her child, you know, the child that was under her care to be able to write the note, help me. So I immediately called some resources, one of whom, the most important one is actually on this call, Paula Perlman. Paula Perlman is a member of Temple Def Am, and Paula said to me, why don't you call the Pacific Asian Legal Aid Center. They may know where to direct you. And I did call them and they directed me the most important phone call I've ever made and that is to cast. When I described what was happening to Ima, they said, Susan, what you have is a domestic slave in your neighborhood. And I was stunned. I mean, this neighbor, these neighbors, it was a woman, Indonesian woman and her husband, a Chinese American were friends. I mean, they were, she was a landscape architect. They were very involved in neighbor activities. And actually, the only time when I did see Ema leave the home was when they would take her to church, which later on I found out that they told Ema, you can never say a word about it. So the cast person said to me, You've got to get Ema out of this house as quickly as possible and get her to one of our unmarked shelters. So we made a plan with our babysitter to meet Ema when our neighbors were sleeping and get her to the shelter. It worked. Uh, Ema went to the cast shelter. Our neighbor woke up and I said, do you know where Ema is? I don't know, I don't know. And basically that ended my friendship forever with this neighbor, which I can say later, but it also changed my family's life um, to be aware that here was something right under our noses, right under our noses. And we didn't know the signs that could have prevented Ema from living in torment these years. So that's why I'm here today. I wanna share with you the signs that this is happening right under our noses and also share the sign, uh, also let you know about caste. Because in Passover, you know, the theme is from slavery to freedom. And I want to leave you with some hope and optimism because as Sheila said, Cast plays a very important role that once these slaves are rescued, that they do have hope for a good life. So really briefly, I want to share a very, very short video. Ema is part of this video. She is the woman wearing the plaid shirt. They will tell you their stories and what Cast provided for them, and then I will share with you the signs that can help you identify. Any, any possible slaves in your neighborhoods or in your restaurants or in retirement homes that you visit or in any place um, in a manufacturing situation where this is happening. So here is the video. My
1: name is Udaya kanti Salgado. I'm from Sri Lanka. My name is Tigay I'm from Eritrea, Asmara. My name is Flor, and I'm from Puebla,
5: Mexico. My name is Jason De Guzman, and I am from the Philippines.
1: My name is Sujai. I was promised a good job with a house, and I didn't have to worry about anything. She said, you can come with me and work with me in the restaurant. I have a restaurant. I pay you a lot
5: of money. I thought it was a great opportunity to come over here and work with the United States because everyone in the Philippines, like when they heard America, they want to go. They want to come here.
1: I wasn't able to talk to anybody. I was forbidden to put one step out of the shop. You sleep on the floor. I feel numb because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I had to work 17 hours a day, seven seven days a week. I wasn't able to talk to my coworkers. Sometimes I feel like I want to kill myself because it was too painful. Like, it's really, it's really like hurt. It's, it's really like, you know, hurtful how she, how she um, treat me. <laughs> Where am I going to go? I don't have anyone, I don't have any money, even though she promised me to pay me like $150 a month, but I did not get that money. My trafficker often says that uh, dogs have more rights in the United States than I did. She said, if I kill a dog, I will get in trouble. But if I kill you, nobody's going to know, nobody's going to care. She took my passport, I can go. I feel afraid because I don't know where to go.
5: But she always said that you can't go nowhere. You belong to me.
1: The day that I was escaped, um, the woman who helped me, like, took me to Cass the same day. And uh, since then, Cass helped me a lot with, you know, shelter with Food, with money, with anything that I need to get on my feet.
5: They brought you like, who was going to help you to talk or interpreter, like if you need something.
1: For the blanket, for the clothes, they give me a lot. <laughs> encouraging me to do something, like encouraging me like to go to school.
5: And the cash helped you to know you right.
1: And they they make me very strong and independent person has opened up for me Cast take me alexander house Cast take me school now i speak english a little bit cast
5: has uh, helped
1: me through everything i want to be part of it i want to be part of the mission to end slavery i want to be part of the, the making of the history of and slavery
4: for good okay so i i shared this video because every single one of those survivors made their way through caste because somebody saw the signs that they were being enslaved or they were able to reach out to somebody who helped them and so now i'd like to share Oh, hold on a second. Okay, Okay. hold on one second. Okay, Okay. sorry about that. Not a problem. Okay, okay, we are back. Um, I just wanted to say that every single one of the survivors were helped because people recognized the signs, and I'd just like to share some of the signs with you. For example, if you're in a neighborhood and you notice that somebody that works for one of your neighbors is not ever leaving the house for a day off, that's a sign. We didn't notice that Ema didn't have anywhere to go on a day off and never left a day when she was working. Um, if there's no eye contact, even she barely would raise her eyes to speak to me, she was intimidated. If you see that there's signs of injury, the bandage should have been a tip off. Um, in restaurants, uh, one of the the um, one of the men, Jason, that you saw in the video, somebody noticed that where he was working, there was a sign of bedding, and there shouldn't have been bedding in a restaurant and in a nail salon. Somebody noticed that there were some sheets on the floor in a corner. Nobody sleeps in a nail salon. I mean, these are signs that are little things. Trafficking is often hidden in plain sight from all of us. So, noticing, just having your eyes open to those kinds of signs, um, and just Being aware that there is a hotline, the number there is on the hotline, um, CAST hotline. They are open 24 hours a day. And obviously, if you notice anything suspicious, Sheila mentioned, sometimes you see young girls selling candies in markets and there's a big van parked on the side and the girls are very reticent to make eye contact. They just want you to pay for it. If you see that week after week, you can call CAST and say, I think I see a situation where there might be some intimidation. Um, they will check it out for you. And during the pandemic, unfortunately, there's been a 50% increase in hotline calls. So the first thing I would tell each of you is listen to the signs, go to the Castella website, they'll provide you with more signs, um, raise awareness of your friends and family that you can find this kind of slavery just under your nose in the places that I mentioned. And also for Passover, we prepared a, a sheet that Rabbi Schatz can share with you. It's sort of recognizing the 10 plagues of um, modern slavery. My daughter Rena um, made it composed it. And it has the Castle website on it. You can download that and share that with the members of your, probably by Zoom, most of us, with the members of our um, family or friends who are attending the Seder. And I also wanted to give you hope because Ema has gone on to be a leader in the survivor network, and I'm going to share with you what happened to Ema since she went to CAST. As you saw from the video, CAST provides education, vocational training, um, trauma support, which is huge, and just does what, they, what these people need to get their life back together. This is the picture of her with President Obama. Uh, she received an award from at the Clinton Global Initiative Conference, being a leader in a national organization to advocate for survivors of slavery and trafficking. And she has gone on to speak at the Democratic National Convention in 2016. And what I also wanna leave you with is that she also helped change some of the laws that could have helped her. I gave the example in the beginning of when she was taken to the UCLA emergency room for the stitches. Um, She advocated for a law and it was passed that if you now go to an emergency room with somebody else you're separated from that person and given an interpreter if they don't speak your language, because that person could be the one abusing you. And if she had had that, then maybe she wouldn't have had to go home with her abuser and claim that she slipped and fell. So uh, that is what I want to share. And if you have any questions, I'm open to questions.
2: Wow. Thank you so much, Susan. And, And for you and Sheila, both of what you shared just, uh, it illuminates and, and it really gets you thinking about so many of the instances in which you know we are encountering or, or like you know we're we're very likely encountering trafficking and not even knowing what is before our very eyes. And you know, one of the questions and, and thank you, Susan, for sharing about the um, the, the the what has happened at Ema since and what she has accomplished in terms of advocating for laws. I'd be curious to learn a bit more, and then there was one question that came, uh, came in the chat directly to me about trying to understand the, some of the intersections with law enforcement. Um, you know, one of the questions was when women are trafficked, are, you know, when are police involved and, and are women prosecuted, especially if it's something like prostitution? Um, and, you know, I'd be curious to hear from uh, what, what the status is on that, but also we can go a little bit deeper on how are these policies enforced? How, you know, is this something that, um, you know, we, we that's factored into OSHA compliance? Is it something that is uh that we're expecting our more local law enforcement agencies to be uh, checking up on all the small businesses and things like that, which I imagine is is a very time consuming, tedious uh, practice uh, to make sure, you know, to really dig deep for for these issues. I'd be curious to hear a bit more Um as I'm sure there are other questions that will come in, but, but that, that's the big picture to both of you uh, to get us
4: started. Um, well, I'll say in terms of CAST, CAST really prefers a community-based public health model where you get into the communities and earn the trust of community members. And then through education, as Sheila mentioned, really try to hit this problem early. Law enforcement, of course, um, is, is necessary, but oftentimes with sex trafficking, for example, they do sting operations where they arrest both the, the, the John and the woman or the, the, the man who's engaged in the, in the trafficking themselves. And then we have to go in with the legal teams to make sure that they know this is not a prostitution crime. This is somebody who's a victim of slavery and trafficking. So it takes a lot of education. And the low hanging fruit are the sting operations that law enforcements do. The, the, to find out the kind of uh, slavery and trafficking that I'm also talking about, the labor, that takes more work. And that takes more community trust and community building. So I would prefer that the, the group get all, I mean, I know CAST and speaking for CAST, a whole community-based model where it's not just law enforcement. Because Ema, for example, before I called Paula, uh, who gave me the name of Pacific Legal Foundation, somebody said, call the LAPD. That would have really been a disaster in our case because our neighbor, so respectable, would have answered the door. She would have explained, oh no, there's no problem. Ema didn't know English. Ema would have been totally uh, intimidated because her neighbor, my neighbor all along had said, you're going to end up in jail. You're going to get deported. You're going to get raped. I mean, it would have just played into that whole fear. So I think one thing we're really working for with Mayor Garcetti's office is a more community-based public health approach than than just solely relying on law enforcement to do these sting operations.
3: And um, when LA is basically working with the city attorney's office and the district attorney's office as far as supply and demand and we're trying to understand the whole um the whole john program and so which was for um educational purposes john is a person who buys um who buys sex and so for that our understanding of trying to break with the break the, the supply and demand is that hopefully one way that would be a way of absolving um human track human sex trafficking and so we also, um, at this point, also brought attention to people, those who are hurt, hurt people. So we also focused on, um, oh, we also focus on the trafficker because sometimes the trafficker may have deep-rooted um, problems. So when LA is basically focusing on all aspects of trafficking and also with law enforcement, it's just bringing it to their attention that everyone um, is a victim in this whole process. So just-
2: Sheila, I believe we were all muted for a second. There we go.
3: Okay. All Alrighty. Uh, and I think I just um, ended up by saying um, that we just continue to educate, even educate our law enforcement, um, having our law enforcement come to the table with meetings, having our city district attorneys and their involvement. And also um, talking to, um, having Dr. Paul involved in some of our conversations because now, she is over having teaching behavioral um, aspects to our law enforcement
2: great great thank you um, one of the questions that came in was uh you know for susan if anyone uh if you or anyone in your family if you were threatened because of a result of what happened um in, in your activity of freeing Ema and and sheila you can also share this you know share experiences as well if you've experienced any pushback uh, because of your activism in, in helping liberate the these individuals. So Susan?
4: Um, in our case, the FBI immediately told us not to make it known that we had helped Ima in any way because my neighbor, we don't know who trafficked Ima to my neighbor and that trafficking network was still alive. So they basically said, do not let your neighbor know, don't be public, my name was never used. In fact, when they mentioned that, that uh, leadership award from CAST, they never mentioned our names on the invitation. Um, Mike Fuhrer, city attorney, has always wanted me to write an editorial or op-ed piece on this, but they—I was really cautioned not to go public. So that, so my neighbor, I do not I, I, I think she suspects, but I don't think to this day she knows. Um, and I hope that enough years have gone by. I mean, now I am starting to do public events and using my name. Enough time has gone by. I do not I, I think it's okay now. But for a long time, I—I was cautioned because these people are dangerous.
3: And I have to do ditto with Susan is saying, um, you don't, um, you don't, you do not go after a trafficker. Um, the situations you try and keep them as, um, how do you say it as confidential as possible? Um, because you do not want the person who's being trafficked hurt in any kind of way.
2: That's very helpful to, to hear. And, and I'd be curious because there's especially, um, You know, it's obviously this has been an issue going on for years and years and years, but but especially um, over the past year, a lot of the questions around justice and how we achieve um, equity and dealing with, you know, everything that you're sharing really brings up a lot of questions that come to mind for me about, my goodness, how do we, you know, keep these people safe who were trafficked, but then here are people breaking the laws and getting away with it. And how do you hold them accountable? Um, and and is the way that we you know? But are we we're still at a point where we really have to focus on just keeping those who are trafficked safe before we even deal with any you know anything else? Which which I can fully understand and appreciate. And um, I see a comment here. Uh, yes, that there have been many meetings with Office of Diversion and Reentry with the county and and you know there are other government agencies that aren't just law enforcement that that can be involved and be so helpful. And, and influential um, so that's really uh helpful to know and i wanted to you know again if anyone in the audience has any other questions please feel free to submit uh, them in the chat or to me um, i also want to highlight uh rabbi Schatz did share the 10 plagues uh outline for passover again from susan you know i think so much of what we're here what we've heard today you know, it, it, I learned something um, uh, more, many things, not just one thing, uh, from both Sheila and Susan. And you know, the, for so many of us, again, it, it's uh, we, we see these polarities. We, we it could, in our minds, it could be, as Sheila had mentioned, the the you know young white woman who is traveling in Europe and suddenly gets you know trafficked and and, tra- and trapped. Uh, by some, you know, evil villain that you can picture in a film, you know, or it's the other extreme, it could be people, you know, who are extremely vulnerable, fleeing for their lives, it seems very straightforward how they could be uh, trapped in into such a horrible situation, when in reality, there are so many people, uh, even here in our own communities who are really experiencing these challenges. Um, and another question just came in, is CAST working with disability rights groups or special education advocates to, uh, to educate students? That's actually a really good question, uh, especially after what you had mentioned, Sheila, about um, a lot of special ed students um, are, are at risk and, and the whole grooming process. And so that's, that is an excellent question. Thank you, Paula, uh, for, for Sheila or Susan,
4: uh, either of you. Um, I know that they have a speaker's program that goes into high schools. That specific question, Paula, I would have to go, I would have to ask Cass. I'm not sure specifically what they do. I know they do have a big um, program where they, you know, where they meet and speak. But that's a great question.
3: Um, I believe on the high school level, they do have to um, talk about human trafficking now. And I think it's part of their health program. So they have trained their counselors. And, some, and
4: a group of teachers to begin talking about human trafficking. Right. I think the specific ed is question um, I will definitely look into and get back to, because I, I, I think that's a great question. And I also yes. want to add too that um, all the time, as you were saying, Joe, there are new laws that are being passed to try to protect these workers. And so they're not deported along with, you know, especially during the last administration that many just deported along with others and not being given special status that they deserve as victims of human trafficking. So if you follow casts on social media, you can see which laws they're proposing and, and, and continue yourself to publicize when to thank people who are um, proposing, new, when to thank congressmen for proposing new laws and senators. And right now there's a bill on Newsom's desk for emergency funding that, uh, as a result of the a virus, uh, result of the pandemic. Uh, to for social service and increase in funds for social services. So we're thanking uh, senators who have signed on to that bill, and you can find that on the cast website.
2: Very helpful. Thank you so much, Susan. And and uh, it raises a lot of important questions, especially as we're now entering the um, all these all these conversations around reopening schools and what and and of course I know you know certain special ed programs have been open, uh, in you know in in big chunks of the pandemic and not just in, you know, it's uh, maybe a bit different in California, but certainly all throughout the country, this is a big issue. Um, and, and so you, you raise a lot of important questions and ideas. Um, before we uh, wrap up this program, I want to know if there is any uh, final note you wanted each of us to leave with. Uh, and, and Sheila, I'll start with you. Um,
3: just if you see something, suspect something, anything like that, um, tell someone, Use the hotline number that you did see, um, or call your local um, enforcement, um, especially when it's children, you see children laid out at night um, doing things. They're not just misbehaving or not being supervised or any of those kind of things, especially kids that are in front of supermarkets.
4: Um, see something, say something, do something. I, yeah, I would add on to Sheila, Sheila, which Sheila said exactly, and just raise awareness and educate. As I said, if I had known what to look for, I, I, I would have seen it and I just didn't know. And it's not, it, it, it's around us everywhere. So just keep vigilant and stay aware and you can make a difference. An individual can make a difference.
2: Absolutely right. Well, well, thank you so much. I also, I do see that quick question. It's highest working to expand the number of U visas. There's a huge waiting list of people who are victims of crimes. Yes, that is something we are trying to do. A lot of our uh, pro bono attorneys are very active in working on behalf of clients on these issues. Um, And it is part of a huge uh, push in all kinds of immigration fronts, especially on asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, The U visa issue has been a huge challenge for so many, especially under the previous administration, uh, where they tried to basically make it impossible for um, anyone to really seek asylum and, and to get asylum. Um, and so with that, uh, thank you again, Sheila and Susan, um, your, your stories and insights, uh, were really incredible. And, and for me, a very special way to observe and mark refugee Shabbat this whole weekend, even though it's not even Shabbat anymore, uh, but it's still part of the whole big picture. And, um, I am now going to, uh, pass on to Tyson Roberts, the man who brought all of us together, um, and go from there. So thank you very much.
6: So i'd like to also repeat my thanks very much to susan jacoby stern and to sheila thomas this is i think sheila's second time this in the last six months that she's joined us for an event so thank you so much um thank you again joe so much for all that you do for HIAS and your continued partnership um in so many ways with beth om um, and well, i was going to say most of all but first i'll say thank you so much to my uh, refugee task force um this was a whoops my I'm sorry, my, my battery started going down. Um, we we didn't think of human trafficking at first. We we're just going to do the, the usual sort of refugee Shabbat event. And then someone in the um, task the task force suggested, uh, if we're talking about slavery, slavery is not something that just happens in other countries or in history. It's something that's happening right here in our neighborhood, which is bizarre, right? Like you you don't think of that. That's something that's happening in a different time or a different place. Um, and as we've heard from our speakers, it's not happening in a different kind of place. It's happening right now and happening right in our own city. So um, I thought it was a, a fantastic suggestion from the, the task force. And um, these speakers were all amazing. So thank you so much for coming. Um, and anyone else who wants to get involved in the Refuge Task Force, uh, definitely get in touch. Um, and so most of all, though, thank you to everyone uh, who came today um, there's a lot happening, right? We just finished Purim and Passover is coming and there's so much uh, going on. So I, I really appreciate everyone coming out um, and spending time today talking about this uh, challenging but very important issue. Um, and it's it looks like it's being recorded. So I think it is available for other people that weren't able to join now. So sp- spread the word. Um, all the information that's been shared today, all the different links and um, uh, documents and resources and videos and so on, please do. Uh, share this with your friends and family so it goes beyond um, just the people who are able to attend today. Uh, So we're finishing uh, two minutes early. Fantastic. Um, Oh, and I forgot to thank Rabbi Schatz uh, for um, organizing the entire Passover Prep program and uh, inviting the Refugee Task Force uh, to help partner and uh, put together today's event.
2: You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.